1: Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, along with J.J. Cooper. I'm the still-convalescing John Manuel. Thank you for joining us here at uh, BaseballAmerica.com or via iTunes. And, of course, you can email the program at podcast at BaseballAmerica.com. We have a couple of email questions that we'll get to later in the program. But, uh, J.J., we talked last week, I guess, actually, Jim Callis and I did the podcast and reviewed the draft signing period. We're still talking drafts here at Baseball America. We're talking minor league player of the year. The minor league season's wrapping up. We're all making League top twenty calls. We have a lot of things in the pipeline, but from a podcast standpoint, the draft still seems a, a very fresh topic in our minds. And especially when so many of the postmortems are written uh, this time of year, JJ, after the signing deadline, a lot of ideas get thrown around, I and mean, we've both seen a lot of them.
2: Well, it seems like that this year there has been more talk than even in most of the recent years of that there's a need to fix the draft. Yeah, the Jason draft...
1: Stark, I guess. Wrote really, the, to me, like that's the big media, ESPN.com. A uh, famous baseball writer, possibly a not, future Hall of Famer like kind of guy. probably
2: three or four different ESPN writers yeah. who all wrote that their draft's broken. You saw it other sites also. That Ken
1: Rosenthal wrote something uh, where he talked about some of those as well.
2: That you know that this is the draft that makes the that proves that the draft's broken from as far as what teams want to do, what MLB wants to do, and so
1: which it honestly, has to be fixed. Which honestly, to me, I don't think this draft proved that uh, maybe the last couple of, I think the 2007 draft actually kind of proved that when Andrew Brackman got what Andrew Brackman got and when Matt Weeders got what he got and the Mustakas failed you know Mike Mustakas had to basically like get overruled by his dad to sign you know and these kind of things that that 2007 draft the first year of the deadline where he saw the deadline really didn't work to me that was a bigger deal well, than this year's
2: draft and 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 we're going to examine this in multiple ways. The first yeah. thing that jumps out to me, though, is, is when they when people say that the draft doesn't work, what they're really saying is... We pay these guys. But, well, there's yeah, two you things. Go,
1: you say your thought. I'm sorry.
2: To John's view, it's that we they pay these guys too much. Yeah. I always really think that's, that's the
1: media that, gnashing but, of teeth.
2: But the other thing, though, is is that, and this is, I think, the part that everyone can agree on. The, the part that everyone can agree on is MLB set up this signing deadline and it's been a complete and total failure right. from the standpoint of yeah. if you want to have a signing deadline, even that's fine. But what we've learned is there is no reason to wait to August 15th or 17th this right. year. If you're going to do a signing deadline, July 15th is probably about as late as you need to wait because what we end up finding is that everyone, like you clear out every non tough sign by about July 1st. Right. They're within within
1: two or three weeks of the draft, everybody who wants to just go ahead and sign for slot, signs. And or they're they can, all done.
2: Right. And then it's not even that there aren't all these other deals that are worked out. Then there's another group of, say, 50% of the remaining deals that are done, but that MLB will not let be approved, will not let be publicized because Correct. of fear and I would argue unfounded fear. I don't think we've found an evidence of any one player who right. was going to sign and then found out about another guy, you know, dealing. There might
1: be there might be a case or two of that that we haven't heard about. But also, are there any cases of franchises getting any punitive measures because they sign players over slot? I mean, like this year, Peter Gammons heard about the rumored that Kansas City won't get an All Star
2: game because of uh, right. all their signings. I mean, I'll believe that when I see it. So. No offense, Peter, but so what happens is, is that you then have this delay from July first till the signing, till basically the week before the signing deadline, when signing period starts back up. And this year really was the day. There were a, co- a
1: smattering of signings on Friday and Saturday. A the smattering that MLB allowed
2: because, like right? Mike Minor right, to be allowed to be
1: announced, right? But Correct. Mike Miner
2: was done. Correct. That had been done for weeks. Yeah, maybe that, months, yeah no probably a couple months, and you know and it so out. it was not allowed to be announced, so if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna play that game, I think the part that pretty much everyone can agree on because if you're the an agent, you should even, not play that, but if you're an agent, you don't even care if they move it up, if you're Scott Boris, you don't care if they move it to July fifteenth. The leverage is the same. The only difference is is that if they move it up July fifteenth once we sort all this out, yeah. People could still go play – players could still go play baseball that year. I, I agree completely with you. But that, the, the, what we definitely know
1: over the last three years, and what's definitely broken is there being a signing deadline and the myth or the belief on MLB's part that a signing deadline is going to hold bonuses down. We've had three drafts of that. That's been proved not to, to be not true. And I, th- I think the reason that we've had all these articles or this – these post-mortems that we talked about, JJ, where people think the draft is broken, is because Strasburg got $15 million. And that's, in my mind, $15 million for Steven Strasburg, that was a pretty good deal for the Washington Nationals. That's a sign that the draft is
2: doing what the draft is intended to do,
1: because if if you didn't... The worst team got the best player, and honestly, in the context of the draft, the fact that they paid him $5 million or $4.5 million more than Mark Pryor got eight years ago is actually pretty good.
2: I, I thought that was a pretty good deal. And and the thing about it is, is when people say the draft's broken, what they really mean is is that we went through a, essentially a, a 20, 25-year span there where the draft worked in ways that's almost indescribable, like from the standpoint of, you know, like when you see what, you know, basically the brokenness that people put on the draft started in essentially 19, you know, it started with Todd Van Poppel is when it, like... There was this period of time yeah. where no one got any money. That's right. But
1: King Griffey Jr., I believe his bonus was $160,000 in 1987. And you compare that with 1964, the year before the draft, when Reichert, the outfielder from Wisconsin, got $205,000, I believe, in his bonus. And that's laughable. And that's King Griffey Jr. And who at the time? The generational player, because uh, he was clean. And we think, right. and the generational prospect of his time—a right. son of a big leaguer who, at the time in '87, everyone knew was a special player. Uh, that guy got $40,000 less and real money. Not to mention inflation. Uh, inflation. Twenty-three years later than 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 uh, got. So that's that's where you really see how the draft actually had how MLB had completely shoved down bonuses
2: and kept things completely in check the way they but, wanted it. And the thing about it is, though, is, is the other thing that was the side effect of that though was at that time MLB did a terrible job of actually. Acquired, you know, drafting talent right. and getting it into professional baseball. Correct. Yeah,
1: you had Barry Bonds not signing over $6,000. He right. wanted 66. The, Giants, right. offered him, go to 66. the Giants, Giants offered him 60 out of high school, so he goes to Arizona State. I mean, that, that's why college baseball was so good in the 80s, because teams were so cheap in the draft. And then you, you did, in 88, you had Alan, Andy Bennis, who was seen as kind of a special talent kind of guy. And then in 89, you had the John Olerud contract plus uh, Ben McDonald, and then 1990, like you said, Todd Van Poppel, a high school player, getting a major league contract. You had some other special cases in there from time to time. But I agree, 1990 is really where things started to change. But, I mean, still, you're talking about uh, a signing bonus, uh, you know. And, and in 96, you had the real draft really falling apart with the loophole free agents and how much money those and guys that was, got.
2: The best way to put it is that was really like, okay, opening the door that can never be closed to Because Here's what, what much it showed.
1: talent would get on the free market. Right.
2: What it showed is, is, if Travis Lee is available out there as a free agent, he's worth basically nine to ten times more than what he's worth.
1: Yeah, he was worth five t- times more than the than the, the guy drafted ahead of him by one spot. He was the number two pick in the draft. The number one pick was Chris Benson, got a two million dollar bonus, and he was worth five. He was on the open market. He got five times as much. That said, even that market was skewed because all four of those free uh, loophole free agent players were all signed by. Uh, teams that did not have major league rosters, the Diamondbacks and Rays at the time. And the other thing so that skewed it the a other
2: little thing bit is that if you teams are threw bigger. away the draft, which there's actually people out there like who've said, you know, there's proposed out there to abolish the draft with yeah. different, different ways. But if you threw if you took away the draft completely, what would end up happening is, is that you would probably end up seeing more Strasburg-type contracts. But then on the other end, you would also see, you know, it would kind of, Drop off much more quickly from the standpoint of you would flood the market. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, in some ways, what they talk about with, you know, Marvin Miller when he was going for free agency. The thing that Marvin Miller wanted less than anything else was complete total free, free agency agent. because Correct. then all of a sudden there's a, a surplus of, of talent out there. Yep. Not going to be exactly the same if you just completely abolish the draft, but it would shift it to where the truly elite talents would get a ton more money, but the seventh rounder now. Would get 50, Yeah, the guys who are
1: signing for $100,000 in the eighth round, they would not be getting that much money. Would, that, that pool of players would be a lot smaller. I agree with you. You'd have higher bonuses at the top and a lot more bonuses that are smaller where guys who have no leverage, maybe a college junior who's really tired of school or a, a junior college player who does not want to go to a four-year college, doesn't have that as an option and is out of junior college eligibility, might just sign, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and start. I'll take my $10,000. So, yeah. And, and the more, so I, I agree. I, I guess I, I would say, Jay, is it safe to say, JJ, that you and I are both uh, uh, opposed to an abolition of the draft? Because yeah, I, I really think abolishing the draft completely doesn't
2: make sense to I, me. I, I don't think, and I'm not someone, I mean, you'll some people approach that from the standpoint of this is unfair to the players because, but this is something that has been established. You know, every professional sports league, basically, in the U.S., significant one, right. has. Pretty much uh, decided that this is a more equitable way to distribute talent, and I I, I would agree with that. I will say the NBA is
1: seem like they've they've trended they've made their draft a lot less important over the years in, oh, the, in the
2: NBA. That's that, for sure. That's the one thing that MLB has like, and it's a different type of draft, obviously. But NBA and the NFL have both cut the rounds of the draft pretty significantly. So they'll be able to
1: just two rounds now, and how international. Right. The
2: NBA has become... There are more players declare for the NBA draft every year than actually right. can be drafted in right. the NBA I,
1: I think the NBA's talent procurement system is pretty broken myself. Uh, a lot of young players come into the NBA, and basically it's more valuable for, in the NBA for you to practice for a couple of years on an NBA roster. And, and the NBA believes it's better for you to be drafted really young, for them to pay you a couple million dollars just to practice, than it is for you to be developed at the college level anymore. That's how broken the NBA's development system is. It's extremely broken. It's, it's, it's a, In my mind, it's, it's really inefficient. Where,
2: where I think we have the difference, uh, difference of uh, opinion is, is I actually probably would side on, be on the side of the people who say that I don't think the draft is nearly as broken as a lot of people think. I don't think if you look at the bonuses, even now, and I know this year was a bad year for free agents in the off season. but yeah. if you look at the bonuses, and especially once you get past Steven Strasburg, Dustin Ackley, and, Peter, about, yeah. and about five or six other guys. What we're really talking about is the bonus, you know, the bonus for the 10th the highest bonus in this draft is still in the range of, hey, that's a, you know. That's below the major league average. Right. And so we're not talking about that there's this, massive disparity. Like, I mean, the NFL's broken from that standpoint. That right. A tight end gets drafted, the top five picks. Like, well, he's all of a sudden the highest paid tight end. In and Steven Strasburg is anywhere near the highest right. paid Steven, pitcher in the Major League Baseball. Right. Oh, correct. So, so that's not something we're we're facing. So I don't that, think that
1: – That is truly a joke when you think about that way. That Matthew Stafford and where his pay is as a number one pick in an NFL draft where no one thought – Matthew Stafford. Oh, this is a game-changing quarterback. Right. He was just the best player available,
2: and the number in this one pick. And draft, so, therefore, he must get you know an obscene amount of money. Right. I don't
1: even know that people think he's Matt Ryan.
2: Right. And that's
1: baseball. Never getting them
2: more on JJ's. Footing. But 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 baseball. I do, that's why I don't think it's that broken. Is that and they talk about well, it's a disparity because the big market teams now can you know can land. I mean, and the examples thrown out are uh, you know well, Matt Weeders will fall or you know Ryan Westmoreland guys like that. At the same time, if you like, if you look at the look at the top on our site, you know, go to the prospects blog and look at the, the how much each team spent in the top ten rounds. And I know that there's some guys that you know, team spent the Orioles actually were the team that spent probably the most after right. the tenth round. They did. But oh, then
1: yeah, no doubt after the tenth round they spent the most because they have two basically million dollar players after the tenth round. But if you look at that.
2: Teams have wisened up. It took a couple of years. But I would say if you were people making that argument five years ago or four years ago, or really that two thousand seven draft, yeah. there was a pretty good argument to be made back then that because all these teams were sticking to slot and really just letting, you know, the talent go by and say, hey, you know, the Yankees and Red Sox can draft them in the later rounds. Yep. You're not seeing that as much I, anymore.
1: I agree completely, JJ. This year every team went over slot for at least one player, even the oh, the two stalwarts that have always been by Commissioner Selig's side were the Astros and the Mets for various reasons. The Astros, because Drayton McLean does whatever Bud tells him to do, and uh, the Mets, because Omar basically does what, uh, what Bud Selig tells him to do, because that's who gave him his first job, and I guess the Will go along with that. But the Mets have never brought their, uh, not never, not since Mike Pelfrey, they've gone over slot. They did for Steven Match this year in the second round. Although they pick. still
2: sent 1.9 mil. Total in the uh, right. All oh, right, still but they didn't have
1: a first-round pick, but right. they did go over-slot significantly for Matt. Not to the million dollars that he wanted, but 895, pretty close. The Astros went over-slot uh, over for Geo Meyer, but they they're, 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 the way they structured the payments, they're technically not going over-slot by the way MLB counts it. But that's you know that's like uh, the way Dean Smith used to count assists. So the way we keep them, there's, you know, you get a free, they would give guys an assist if the pass led to a free throw attempt, which. You know, it's not the official way assists are counted. So the Astros are kind of doing the same thing with Geo Meyer. But the point is, that's why I think 2007 was more broken. When some of the teams are going over slot, but others are not, it then it completely doesn't work. But this year, when basically teams, dra- essentially teams are drafting who they want to draft. You know, the Mets don't seem to mind going off the board, the Braves, uh, The high school players they've deemed are now too expensive, so the Braves are trying to draft junior college players because they think that's the closest to a high school kid, and they have more leverage, and they are on a set budget. Uh, Every team has revenue-sharing money. I'd say most teams have the money where if they wanted to, they could allocate more for their signing budgets internationally or in the draft. Um, to be competitive in the draft and to take players you are following. And not every player is falling to the, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox aren't, aren't the only sitting teams. There. They're not right. sitting
2: there at the last couple Picking picks off, of the first guys. round, and right. it's like, well, look, here's Rick, you know, or the Tigers. Daniel Bard.
1: Daniel Bard's a great example for the Red Sox. Nobody took him. There were questions about Daniel Bard in 2006, but the Red Sox, he was not the 28th best talent in that draft. Me, the Red Sox got him there, and now he's become something of an impact player for them. He's Basically, he been their seventh or eighth inning and, guy and for a lot me, of years. Rick year. Porcello
2: is the, yeah. the example that, you know, it, Rick Porcello... The, the
1: Tigers t- have multiple examples.
2: Right, but a guy like that doesn't fall 25 picks now.
1: Correct. Yeah, whatever pick of the draft he will. Yeah, I think 25th. Uh, it's a Baseball America podcast. Uh, he's JJ. I'm John. I think, actually, we agree more than we
2: thought back right. in, a, in but, my mind. But I want to say, you actually think about. it's more broken than I do, do you not?
1: Um to an extent I think that you have to have hard slotting. I think if you're going to have a slotting system at all, I think Major League Baseball should go to a hard slotting system. Um and I think that there the changes that would be I I think you will have to overhaul the draft. I think we I think we both agree that uh free agent compensation is messed up. Right. Well, and that, that system needs to be taken away. I think okay. most people agree. We have a we did a fix the draft article in 2001. Where we talked about getting rid of free agent compensation, and, and the thing about and that, and MLB's own blue ribbon panel recommended eliminating uh, free well, agent compensation. Well, there's a couple
2: things. One, if 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 the owners would take away free agent compensation, then there is some precedent to say that they can almost do whatever they want in the draft because that is why the Major League Baseball Players Association has that's a standing for the draft about the f- changes of the draft because. That's the only way that the union is in any way affected by it. That's
1: their foot in the door, certainly. That was their foot in the door to get into the CBA. I, I'm sure there are other arguments the union could make to be involved in the draft process, and I personally just think it's just good business no, I think that so, would MLB makes don't changes just, to its industry. You don't want to
2: just slap the, exactly, the, 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 the union. But that,
1: they, that they involve the union because the, the agents are involved. The agents have a big say in the union. There's no doubt about that. Right.
2: But that being said, you know The Orlando Hudsons of the world are getting screwed now right. because of free agent compensation. And if that being the case, I, I don't see that being something that the union would have any reason really to argue because the players who are getting hurt by this are, are union, union members. members.
1: And the players who are getting helped are not union members, absolutely. Right. Um, I, so I'm for a hard slotting system. The um, main reason is I think the, the whole point of a draft is uh, to distribute talent evenly within the major league baseball industry. Before the draft you had the Yankees dynasty. And a big reason for the Yankee dynasty was because they paid more for amateur talent and they found more amateur talent and they sustained their dynasty. And that was bad for baseball. I don't think there's a doubt about right. that, that it was bad for the industry. And that we have more competitive balance now and you have and that's been good for baseball financially and in every way. So it's good that teams in more cities have hope. So I'm for Distributing the talent uh, to the bad teams first uh, with a draft. I'm for the, the concept of a draft, and when you have a lack of hard slotting in this current system, you still do have players who fall where the 10th pick in the draft is not the 10th best talent or anywhere near the 10th best talent sometimes. So I'm I'm for hard slotting. Um, if that means you have to make other changes, I'm open to talking about other changes in the draft. But I'm I'm really uh, I'm for hard slotting, and I'm really for. Also, to make that hard slotting system i'm for moving the draft back maybe to July and having more combines i'm for maybe making high school players go through not make you can 't make them go through these combines. But I am for having high school players have as much information as they can and then declare whether they're going to be that's, in the draft or not
2: that's the, to me that's the way if you want to really kind of revolution if if want to revolutionize you, it yeah. in some way. And at the same time, like, if you want to talk about leverage or not leverage, that's the way you do it. And I th- and I really think that's actually going to be good for the high school player as well. I think a lot
1: of high school players sign because of the bonus, and it's not necessarily in their best interest as human beings or for their baseball interest Roll. or not. And, and, see, I think that that's a holistic approach also for Major League Baseball. I'm a college baseball guy. I think that would strengthen college baseball. And I think that baseball, Major League Baseball should try to play off that. Let – college baseball help develop their players, eliminate some of the lower rungs of the minor league, save a little money there, and make college baseball pay for some of your development, well,
2: which they do somewhat anyway. And, and Actually, this is a, a way, in some ways, that you and Scott Boris are in agreement, that yeah. Scott Boris basically has his plan, and one of, the, should, yeah. one of the points he makes of it is that you, more high school players are going to pro baseball than really ever should. Correct. You would be much better off you know, 'cause most of the guys most of these high school players who are going are basically going to spend a couple of years in minor league baseball and then they're done. Yeah. And his point is is that okay, for the elite high school player who wants to go to pro baseball, sure. You know, and we're talking in his view, the elites. I mean we're talking right. the guys know, that he represents. The Jake-
1: <laughs> in his mind and and, yeah. and you have to his track record is pretty good, there's the occasional Mark Pollock, but most of the high school guys he represents are Guys who have pretty good – get a lot of money and have pretty good careers. The Jacob Turners, the Rick Porcellos, uh, you know, J.D. Drew, Stephen right. Drew. But his, I'm sure there have been high school players that but, he's represented. I'm just but, not. but, you know, but not mm-hmm. – and it wouldn't just the Todd Van Poppel was a right. guy who did but flop.
2: It would, but the point being, though, and even like you can make the argument, even guys who flop who get $2 million – That's a guy who had a
1: 10-year professional baseball right. career and was in the major leagues for a decent amount of time.
2: Right, but – you know, the point being that if you're that 10th-round pick who's getting $100,000 to sign right. and you spend three years in the minors or four years and you top out at low A or you know, high A, or a yeah. that you would probably be better served if you had any interest in college at all. Right. To spend those four years, in, you know, to spend three years at least in college. And I've
1: also always been a strong advocate of junior college baseball. I think that junior college is the perfect way station where if you're coming out of high school – You think you want to play a lot. You think professional baseball is the way you want to go, but the bonus necessarily isn't right, but you don't feel like you have another option. Junior colleges don't have the restrictions that the NCAA puts on teams for practice time. They have fewer game restrictions. You play almost as many games in junior college – as you would if you're in pro ball. Because how many players really come out of high school and go straight to the Stanley League or the Midwest no, no, League and play going. every day? It's the minority rather than the majority of guys who sign, I, I would say.
2: most I can't teams... even – I'm trying to think of who's a high school guy, last couple of drafts, who's gone straight to – Full
1: my, season ball. Mike is mostly it's the top draft picks. Moustakis is the one who we, I can think of. Ben Revere did not right. even do this. Aaron Hicks did not do this. A lot, a lot
2: of guys who drafted. Oh, I'm saying, yeah, and you're yeah. talking even the next year. You're not even talking, you're, you're talking that not the year you signed. Yeah, I'm talking the, year.
1: the next year. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's, it's rare. It doesn't happen all the I, I shouldn't say it's rare, but it's the minority, mm-hmm. the vast minority, rather than opposed to the majority of players. So I, a lot of times you're going to get more playing time if you're in junior college. You're going to get just as much experience as you would if you signed in pro ball. So I, I'm really for. Fewer high school players signing, and I, one of the proposals that Scott Boras made again. This is 2001 that he made. Yes, he's, on our said, Steph, he's, he's talk, I'm talked. you am sure to It's him. evolved since then. You, uh, I've talked to him. Jim has yeah. talked to him. I think that the, the basics of this plan are still the same. But you know, that where college players will be eligible for the draft every year. So if you want to go to a four-year, you know, college, you'd still be eligible as a freshman if you want to. I, I think that's fair. And the thing I know like that is it would this again
2: for the college, but you know coach, what? But but no, too but, but the thing that it doesn't stink in some ways, though, is, is again, though, make people declare.
1: Yeah, I, that's it. You have to declare your intention that you are you're you're going to go play pro ball. Because
2: so I know that would in some ways everyone. stink for college baseball, but at the same time, college baseball would be getting a lot from this, too, which is, okay, move the signing deadline up so you wouldn't be sitting here on August 15th and go, okay, well, we just lost our top pitcher and right. our top position player that we had coming in Right. at a time where there's nothing you can that do about it. That
1: still happens anyway. Yeah, right. exactly. Move
2: that up. But beyond that, if all of a sudden everyone declared, you would not spend all your time recruiting players, you know, hey, I'm going pro. And the worst part
1: about the draft now is the negotiating that goes on, the haggling, and then the deadline where, like, okay, Will Myers agreed to this $2 million deal basically in early July or late June with the Royals, but it couldn't be announced till August 17th. Right. And That's
2: the worst part of the, the draft about right it now for me. The parts of the draft that are most broken right now has nothing to do. I mean, really, what it has to do with is the Major League Baseball, you know, the league office. Yeah, that's right. The I mean, commissioner's office is the biggest because problem. That's where, you know, we, we've got a signing deadline, and then we've got this essentially month and a half or month lull where everything just stops. Yeah. Because most teams are taking
1: the players that they want to take. I mean, like the Pirates are a good example. They didn't see a player for they want to take. You can argue the pros and cons of this. But they didn't see a player at four they wanted to take who, was, who they wanted to go outside the box to use a Boris Corporation line. And really, you know, they, didn't, they weren't sold they wanted Aaron Crow at $4 million or Tyler Matzik at three point nine. They weren't sold on that. Instead, they decided to take their money, sign Tony Sanchez basically for slot, and then they spread that money out over the rest of their draft. They went for quantity. In their minds, they went for quantity and quality as opposed to what they did in 2008 when they put it all in Pedro Alvarez. <laughs> who, hey, by the way, had a great second half yeah. and
2: really so, thriving at double the, A. So the, I respect that approach. And the uh, thing about it is, is we'll that, see again, see how it works. But the, the, the key thing that, again, this is why I don't think it's as broken as a lot of people think, those are all decisions being made. That's a, that's a development decision. That's right. a scouting decision. That's not, you know, again, people, it's almost like we have a, la- it's a lagging indicator here yeah. where people you looking back and thinking of it as, oh, the draft's broken. And you know what? Yes. If you're taking, you know, if you're not taking Matt Wieders because you just think he's way too expensive, you know, right. and like, you're letting like, him go by, and you're going to take Daniel Moscos because you don't have the money in your budget to afford Matt Wieders. Although the
1: Pirates also say that that was an evaluation they just didn't think that he was, Matt worth, it. was
2: worth that much. Which playing. that goes back even to, I mean, if you want to go to old school scouting, that was how scouting was done before the draft. Yeah. You, I mean, we talk about twenty to eighty. How it was done was is essentially you put dollar figures on guy. This was a ten thousand right. dollar guy. This was a fifty thousand dollar guy. So essentially, what they're saying is is that their evaluation of Matt Wieders was that he was say a four million dollar guy, but he wasn't a six million dollar right. guy. Right. Correct. Well, again, this <laughs> is we we're going to try to wow. potentially. Tear apart the whole system for a few of those guys for for essentially five to eight guys a year. Right? Does that make any sense? Not and convenient. really, because we're we're talking about you know we talk about over slot. This guy signed in the tenth round over slot. This guy signed in the twenty second round over slot. Right. But what we're talking about there is this slots one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and this guy got nine hundred thousand.
1: Yeah.
2: That yeah. is in the in the world of baseball economics, even in this you know more difficult time. Yeah. That is peanuts. That's not something that, you know, the, really what it comes down to is, yes. That's if, like cash for clunkers. Cash right. for
1: clunkers, everyone's making this big deal out of it. That's $3 billion out of a $780 billion TARP program. It's really, frankly, insignificant. Well, and that's what we're talking about with the draft. Right. These are small amounts the, of money in the grand scheme And of what things.
2: Major League Baseball has to figure out is, I mean, there has to be something, yes, that the two sides have to negotiate about when we re- renew the CBA. But if you're Major League Baseball, what you really have to decide is: is this what is the most important? Because the right. union will work with you yeah. on redoing some of this. But understand, everything since the owners have come out and said yeah. this is our big concern, the union is going to come and say, might, "Sure, but what right. are you going to
1: give us?" Exactly. We will expect some of our backs scratched elsewhere, and maybe. And the other part of this that uh, we should wrap up the podcast soon is the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. Uh, J.J., we've had Bud Selig come out and say that he's also for an international draft or putting that, making that part of the CBA. Now, and Scott Boris' uh, proposal that he made in our Fix the Draft feature back in 2001, he proposes three drafts, a high school draft, a college draft, and an international draft. We had a meeting a couple weeks ago where I talked about I, I'm, I, the way I think an international draft would have to be implemented would be Major League Baseball basically buying every Major League organization's current academy, reimbursing those teams for those academies, Uh, and then MLB owns those academies, and the Dominican Summer League and Venezuelan Summer League become effectively combines. They become you, MLB chooses you, a team can recommend you, you come and play in the Dominican Summer League, and then after you've been in that league for a certain amount of time, you're eligible for that draft. And all the teams can see all those players playing each other, in this common environment, and then draft those players. That's how I think that would have to happen. I'm not sure how you'd run it for Asia, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I, I'm not sure how you'd run it for Europe, although there are plans. After this fall World Cup that's coming up in September, September 9th of the 27th, and August 30th, I believe, uh, Hello, USA Baseball will announce it, the Hello. roster for the U.S. Um, World Cup team. So you're going to have these professional players playing in Europe, and what they want to do is spin off a pro league in Europe – uh, out of which that could possibly function as the future home for a, the way you would do a European combine. I don't, I'm not sure how you do it in Asia, but I, I think that's how you'd have to
2: do an international draft I, I If you want to talk about a, a system that's broken, yeah, that's it's international baseball, especially yeah. Latin American baseball signings are probably much more. If you really want to talk about like what's broken, that's more broken. At the same time, it's Harder something that it's. I don't think it's fixable. Yeah. I don't think I. You know, they talk they, we. International draft, something they talked about in the last CBA. Yeah. The reality of it is, is that once you start digging into it, there's no real logical way. There's no simple way, at least I yeah. know, to solve this. Like that plan, the problem with it is, is that. So what you're talking about is, is that MLB, you know, which is funded by the same people. You, you yeah, essentially these teams would have to just give their academies in some well, way would because be, otherwise would be, they would be paying them, you know. Right. They're going to be cutting the check on, anyway.
1: Right. Well, Major League Baseball does have money on its own, obviously, from television broadcasts right. and all these kind of things. They'd MLB have to would have hold to, it back. Yeah. They'd have to hold back, say, money that they would otherwise give in revenue sharing and instead give it back to the clubs to compensate them for these but, academies. Well, but, you're right. It's it's all the same pool. Being right. Re- and the reality
2: of it is, is that – I mean, so that probably makes that uh, uh, very difficult to do. And beyond that, you just kind of, again – You have the problem of is you have teams that would look at it and say, well, we have a competitive advantage down there. Right. Why do we want to give that up? We scout this heavily, and all of a sudden – Why would the
1: Mariners want to give up the advantage they have of – they're the Mariners. They sign some players for less money. uh, They keep things very close to the vest. Even before Jags are in, they did it with Bob Engel running their international thing for so long. Why would they want to give up – their inherent advantage internationally because they are the most cosmopolitan, really right. organization in the game. And
2: why would they give that up? Where and say, "Hey, there's teams out there who haven't spent, you know, a yeah, hey, hundred bucks." have you know, chance. It, hey, you know,
1: hey, Twins, you can have a uh, more of a shot at the guys in the Dominican. You don't have to sign Australian guys anymore. Right.
2: I mean, so it doesn't knock the Twins. But but again, it, it's it's one of those things where, and beyond that, the problem in in the international, market, especially in the Latin American market, is is that this difficulty of verifying ages. Yeah. And that's not going to change who gets involved? In that are
1: Mexican amateur players? Right. Well, they and have those, their own league. So, you right, know, that exactly. would be, you know,
2: essentially, you can't really do it there because it's like, no, but I'm signing with, you know, right, Mexico exactly. City. And that's the other thing in Asia.
1: You can't treat Asia the same way right, because because Asia has, so to me, like the Asian market would almost have to be, the you have to treat Asia the way that the NBA treats Europe, in my opinion. Maybe European professional basketball isn't the same as the NBA,
2: but it's certainly
1: in the you Ballpark would have to essentially the have them declare
2: that they want to come over, but then correct like Junichi Chazawa. But dude. at the same time, when you talk about if you know, but with Matsuzaka and guys like that, they shouldn't have to declare because right. they have the decision. If not, well, let me see who drafts me. They they come over and then they can decide who they sign with because. And,
1: and Cuban players the same way.
2: What do you do with Cuban defectors until that island becomes open? Essentially, uh, that I think what we're coming to somewhat is is yes, not that there aren't flaws with this, but. I it's think a the, little bit overheated the rhetoric. Like it's, I think the rhetoric is overheated. I think we're agreeing that the rhetoric's overheated.
1: That's a great way to put it. on Continue. But. That
2: that it is. It's like yes, there may be problems, but the best way I've put it is is there may be problems the way it is now. I will tell you this: if you try to fix it, you may. Major League Baseball thought they were fixing it when they set up the signing deadline. Hey, we're not going to have these players go until the day before classes. You know, and right. we're not going to have you know indie guys going through. You know. And, hey, we'll fix it. We'll set this signing deadline. And what happened? All it did is made things worse. Law of unintended consequences
1: is all over baseball's attempts all over the years to try to regulate how amateur ta- talent is procured. Okay, if you pay these guys giant bonuses, they have to be on your major league roster. Well, people did that anyway. And you know, know what? And the funny thing about season, it is, is that yeah.
2: with the major, the big, how many guys? I mean, I really, I, I was wrong on this. I thought that, you know, there was going to be kind of, a time where you look at it, it's like, man, they've really screwed up on that. How many guys have really been screwed up in the draft by signing to a major league deal? Van Poppel's really one of them. There've been there 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 were a, a couple big, in the nineties, but it's not in, too many lately. Not I mean, like Rick Porcello signed a big league deal. Well, that's worked not going to really affect. <laughs> worked anything. out pretty
1: well, no, no doubt. And the, I think people also have to remember this has been only the draft has only been public since nineteen ninety nine. I mean, before that, it was not public. Uh, so you know, we're b- baseball's draft is still really. Even though it started in 1965, this draft is still really evolving. I think a lot of things are going to happen in the next two years that will affect those CBA discussions. But I think from the first – I think, like you said, JJ, the the rhetoric's overheated. To me, the draft really needs tweaking. And the international part, that's an overhaul that has less to do with a draft, in my opinion, and more to do with how messed up the the Dominican Republic is from a governance standpoint and how – it is worth it for you to take to, to bribe people to fake an age if you're a player or a Buscone or an age those kind of things.
2: So that, the, that that's I mean, a whole
1: other system that needs to be fixing beyond a draft. So I think we're agreeing on those points. We have two quick. Um, I don't think we have time to get to. Well, them let's, today, get, let's get let's get the one quick question and then we'll wrap the podcast. Let's one quick question. Um, this is a Luke. We'll get to Joe's question next week. Luke wanted to ask about the White Sox farm. I, I just I, I like getting to the podcast questions. Is there a clear top prospect in the White Sox system with uh, with uh, Gordon Beckham, graduated of the big leagues? It seems like Tyler Flowers, Jared Mitchell, Dan Hudson, Jordan Danks are a cut above everyone else. And are the potential stars or sleepers in the organization? I guess we have to admit, one, that the White Sox system is a little bit stronger this year coming in than we thought. Gordon Beckham, pretty special prospect. That's a big part of that. Uh, he might be your major league rookie of the year. Second of all, they've had a breakthrough guy in Dan Hudson, uh, who oh, yeah. is, is pitching well even now in Triple A, at that system. Third, they gutted it a little bit with the four pitchers they gave up uh, in the Jake Peavy deal. Um, who's that number one for you out of those? If, it's, if we're going to limit it, to those four guys: Flowers, Mitchell, Hudson, or Danks. I, I think Jared Mitchell is the number one guy for me. I've
2: got to go with Mitchell there too. I don't think I like I his think, upside. I. I, I I do think, yeah, that's not the same as the Gordon Beckham number one last year. You know, I mean, that's a, right. It's, it's a different level. But um, I, I do think that there's more depth in that system this year. I mean, the thing that's impressed me, it's less elite top end talent because you got Beckham out of it. But at the same time, you do have, I think, more depth in that system than you've had for a couple of years. I mean, there were a couple of years ago. I mean, looking at that system, it was like, yeah, it was wow, bad. who's the number five prospect?
1: No, I don't think bad. that's going
2: to be the problem this year like it was.
1: Yeah, I think I think that it's it's interesting that the good guys have developed a little talent. I just think that you have to also they they aren't looking to have a number of a top ten ranked farm system, and they aren't looking to have. I don't know, Gordon Beckham was their first also top ten uh, pick. This is the highest selection since Frank Thomas in 1990. Generally, under Jerry Reinsdorf, the White Sox have been competitive. Obviously, they won a World Series in '05 as well, and they just they win games at the major league level, and they value the major leagues and Kenny Williams. Will trade prospects for big leaguers and uh and he'll also take on some crazy outrageous salaries. But uh I think the White Sox have been pretty consistent about that and uh, to their credit, I think Doug Lowman's actually done a pretty good job whenever he's been the scouting director of being aggressive uh in the draft. And Jared Mitchell is about to, he's pretty far from the Kyle McCullough drafts and those years where they had Lance Broadway, Kyle McCullough back to back where they were drafting, you know, good change up kind of Grady Fuson kind of right handed pitchers, uh guys who were pitchability no, guys. Love- they're aiming a lot higher in terms of their ceiling when they take a guy like a Jared Mitchell or even a guy like a Dan Hudson. Uh, uh, but they do have some and, catching depth in the system. They have some They have some hitters. Jordan Danks has been a nice uh, – he's been much better uh, than he was really in college as far as just driving the ball, and, and hitting is, for authority in, in pro that ball.
2: Like, that their system now is not as good as it was midway through the season because they – you know, they use some of that talent to, to acquire talent at the trade deadline.
1: Right, absolutely. Uh, and they, they have one of my favorite sleepers, the Beaver, C.J. Rutherford. Uh, we love the Beave. uh Non-drafted free agent uh, who's already in AA two years out of Arizona State. I just want to throw his name out there. He's one of my personal favorites. you used to be a Kyle Asselton. Uh, he used to be uh, one of your sleepers. He he's
2: yeah, never he's quite not, harnessed not that not control, out. which not. is
1: unfortunate. But uh but Daniel Hudson, really their breakthrough guy this year in the in that system. But I think I think we agree that Jared Mitchell's their number one prospect. But uh, some good draft discussion, like you said, I think we both realize that the I think the rhetoric is overheated, which is one of the reasons we want to do the podcast. But uh, we'll be back with more next week on the Baseball America podcast, and we might also have a special college summer league podcast oh, for you yeah. next week when Aaron Fit and I will talk about summer college baseball and and all of its forms and all of its splendor and all of its uh, talk about overheated too many summer colleges uh, leagues out there. But for J.J., I'm John. We'll be back next week with another Baseball America podcast. Until then, so long, everybody.
0: After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medella, is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, you are a fighter, and Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import Chicago, Illinois